of Corinth, he said, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now think about that. That's how he ended his letter to the Corinthians. This is the last thing he actually said to him in the letter form that we have. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, how do you get Jesus' grace? By being humble. Grace is given to the humble. The love of God, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The Apostle Paul understood the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. But listen, you know, one of the good books I've read on this many years ago, Benny Hamm wrote Good Morning Holy Spirit. You know, he was in a Catholic Kuhlman meeting and she was talking about the person of the Holy Spirit. And he went home and he asked the Holy Spirit, if you're a person, I want to get to know you. And of course, the Holy Spirit began to invade his life, transformed him. And out of that came the ministry that we have today from Benny Hinn. But let me tell you, God the Father is in heaven, the third heaven. He's not coming down here until the end. Okay, if you read Revelation, the very last part, he's coming down with the new Jerusalem, but he's, he's not on earth right now. And Jesus isn't here right now either. He is at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession. That's what he's doing. He's praying for you. Okay. So people that are intercessors, they they have the heart of Christ. They're connected to him. That's what Jesus doing. He's interceding. But the the person of the Godhead that is living inside of you is the Holy Ghost. Okay. The person of the Godhead who is with you. The one who's in this place, His presence is here, His power is here, is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a thing. A lot of people refer to the Holy Spirit as just like a wind or some bird. He is a person. The reason why He's described like a dove is because He's gentle. It's not because He is one. The reason why he's described as a rushing mighty wind is because that's some of the manifestation of when he shows up, but he's not a wind. He is a person. The Holy Spirit has intellect. He has emotions. It's you can grieve the Holy Spirit. Yes. You can quench the Holy Spirit and you can resist the Holy Spirit. You've got to be careful about those things. He has emotions and he has a will. The Holy Spirit, he is quick to leave. Let me say that again. If there's sin, if there's people that are resisting, if the Holy Spirit begins to move in a church service and there's people in that church service that begin to rise up and protest and resist what He's doing, He'll leave. If the Holy Spirit begins to move in a church service and a pastor gets up and says, Ah, just wait a minute, let's calm it all down and quenches the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will leave. If the Holy Spirit... Um, he can be grieved by what we do. You know, if, if somebody, the Holy Spirit's in somebody's home, and I, I pray that all of you desire His presence in your home, and, and you let things go on that shouldn't be going on, He can be grieved. And He'll convict you, but if you don't respond to that conviction, you keep going with what you're not supposed to be doing, then He'll be grieved, and His presence will lift. The Holy Spirit can be quenched, resisted, and grieved. But the Holy Spirit is God Almighty. 
Okay, he should not be looked at as somehow inferior in the Godhead. I think a lot of people look at God the Father as being superior, God the Son as lesser, and God the Holy Spirit as being the least. But the truth is, they're all God. It, he is God. He's three, but He's one. The Holy Spirit is not less God than Jesus. Right. So He is God Almighty. And He's referred to as God. Whenever Peter said to uh, Ananias and Sapphira, remember, he said, uh, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. You've lied to God. And they died. He referred to the Holy Spirit as God. God the Holy Spirit is God. Jesus is also God. The Father's God. It's a mystery, but God the Godhead, you know. We're created in His image, body, soul, and spirit. We're three, but we're one. God is Father, Son, and Spirit, three, but one. So it's, it's utterly important that we understand the Holy Spirit because when God the Father was at work in the earth, He chose Abraham. He began to function through Abraham and then through Moses when He brought the law. So we have the 15 years, 1,500 years of the law. And then you have Jesus' ministry, which His ministry was only, what, three and a half years. But He said at the end, He said, it's better for you that I go away. Because when I go, I will send the promised Holy Spirit. So you see God the Father's ministry as He functioned through the law. Then you see Jesus' ministry when He was here. But these last 2,000 years have been the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit has been through the body of Christ. And He is preparing a bride for Christ coming. And then when Christ comes, He's going to reign for 1,000 years. And He's going to prepare for the Father's coming. When He comes with the new Jerusalem. You see how it's all working together? And ultimately, when the Father comes, God's dwelling will be with man and man with God forever. The Bible says that. But the Holy Spirit is the one who is powerfully at work in the earth right now, bringing in a great harvest of souls and preparing a bride for Christ's return. That's what He's doing. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts people of sin and draws people unto God. No man can come to the Father except the Spirit of God draw him unto the Father. You have to be drawn. And that's why when Peter, when the day of Pentecost fully came, and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit came in that place, He came in like a mighty wind. They all began to speak in tongues. They were baptized in the Holy Ghost. When that happened, Peter stood out, and there was a group of, what, 3,000, I believe, 5,000? There was about 3,000 people out there. And He spoke to them, and the Holy Spirit convicted them. He cut them to the heart. And what did they say? What must we do to be saved? But it was the Holy Spirit that convicted them. Right. If Peter had gone out there on his own and started preaching Christ before the Holy Spirit showed up, the people would have just laughed at him and walked on. But once the Holy Spirit showed up, they were convicted. The Bible says that they were cut to the heart. You need that. Yes. When you witness to people, you need the Holy Spirit's conviction. The Holy Spirit, there's a sevenfold manifestation of the Holy Spirit. He is the spirit of wisdom, revelation, counsel, and might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. When He comes as the fear of the Lord, there's a conviction of the Holy Spirit that grips people. They feel that fear of the Lord. They feel that conviction, and they're drawn 
unto God to repent and get right. The Holy Spirit being God, He is omnipresent, which means He's everywhere at once. He is omniscient. That means He knows everything. Nobody says to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, did you know this? <laughs> he already knew. He already knew you are going to ask. He's omnipotent. That means He's all-powerful. There's no limit. The Holy Spirit was, was present at creation, brooding over the earth in its chaotic form. And whenever God the Father wanted to create, God the Son was the Word. But whenever the Word went forth, the Holy Spirit's awesome power changed everything. So the Holy Spirit has the power to create. He has the power to bring life. Think about this. He has the power to take a world of chaotic mess, darkness, and make it into a beautiful Garden of Eden. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has the power to come into somebody's life that's a chaotic mess and make it something beautiful. The Holy Spirit is also eternal. He's self-existent. He's eternal. He doesn't have an end. So He is God Almighty. Now when you look at 2 Corinthians 13, 14, and, it's, and Paul said, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That word fellowship is the famous Greek word koinonia. koinonia. And it means seven different things. It means presence. How many love God's presence? You want God's presence with you. It means fellowship. Sharing together. Participating with. Intimacy. Friendship. And comradeship. Comradeship means He's with you in battle. I'm not going to dwell on this next part very long, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit in His gifts. Mm-hmm. Listen, Matthew 3.11, John the Baptist said, there's one coming after me who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. See, when you get born again, the Holy Spirit takes you and baptizes you into the body of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But, you know, when you're born again, you're baptized into Christ. But whenever you get baptized in the Holy Spirit... Jesus takes you and He baptizes you into the Holy Ghost and fire. And then you're clothed with power. Okay. The baptism in the Holy Spirit, all of us need a fresh anointing. All of us need to be filled with the Spirit on a regular basis. And all of us need a fresh baptism in the Holy Ghost. I know that there's people out there, old old traditional Pentecostal people that will tell you, you know, well, I got baptized in the Holy Ghost 20 years ago. God touched me, and I'm good. And it's like, friend, you, you have no idea what you're talking about. You need a fresh touch today. Thank God for yesterday's touches, but we need a fresh anointing, a fresh touch today. Amen. That's right. And that's what God is releasing through these revivals. That God's pouring out His Spirit. He's releasing a fresh touch into people's lives. But we need a fresh anointing. To be filled fresh. And let me tell you, when you read the Bible, you see a progression. Jesus breathed on the disciples in the end of John's that received the Holy Spirit. Now probably that was their born-again experience. Then right after that, you see the day of Pentecost. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit. Then after that, they prayed. Remember, in the place where they prayed was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And you keep reading, and, and it says, Peter, filled with the Spirit, spoke. And they. So what's up with this continually being filled with the Spirit over and over and over? Because the Lord is trying to tell you and I that it's not a one-time thing. You need to be filled with the Spirit all the time. Right. You need to have that all the time. Yeah. 
And I love that because that's what's so needed. That's why in Acts 4 8, Peter, whenever he spoke up to the Sanhedrin, a lot of us read over things like that and don't realize the Sanhedrin was, they were the people that could kill you. I mean, this was the judicial system under the Jewish law. And most people would have been very intimidated to have to stand before him. But Peter, it says he was filled with the Spirit and he spoke to them boldly. Why? Because he was filled with the Spirit. Right. When the Holy Spirit fills you, you speak the word boldly. Amen? Mm. Now let me warn you about this. Don't live by feelings or experiences. They're there to encourage you. But you have to walk by faith. And the Lord will pull back His presence sometimes just because He's trying to teach you to walk by faith. Yeah. You know, If people always just walked in this glory bubble all the time, they would never have to live by faith. Amen. As far as a lot of things go. So the Lord many times will seem distant, but He's not. He's ever with us. Jesus, I'll never leave you forsake you. The Holy Spirit's in you. Okay, But sometimes His presence will seem distant. But that doesn't mean anything. That just means that God's putting you through a trial or test or, or He just wants you to grow in faith. But let me tell you, don't live by experiences. You can, you can get drunk in the Spirit tonight, have an awesome time, leave out of here, wake up tomorrow and not really feel God's presence real close, but you still are faithful to spend time with Him, to pray, to live holy throughout your day. See, some people, when, they, when they're filled with the Spirit, they'll do really good. They'll, they'll live really holy and be on fire for God, doing what they're supposed to do. And then a few days pass and there's a dryness. And what do they do? They go back into their old sin and all this stuff. And God's trying to get that out of them. So don't go by feelings or experiences by themselves because if you do, your spiritual life will be a major roller coaster where you're really, really high when God's presence is there, but you go really, really low even down into a depression when He doesn't seem like His presence is real strong. And you don't need that in your life. Amen? So the deep... Things of God and the revelation from the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. Let me give you a preface about this. The Apostle Paul had went to Athens. You guys remember this story. Okay? Um, everybody loves the Apostle Paul, but not too many people would have wanted to be in his sandals back then. Okay? Because everywhere he went, things were stirred up. And he went to Athens... And when he went there, he saw that there was this altar there to the unknown God. And so he gets up and he tells the, the, the Greek people were very philosophical. So they were all about, you know, sitting around contemplating the meanings of life and all that. And so Paul tried to relate to them on that intellectual level. He said, let me talk to you about the unknown God. And he began to talk to them from an intellectual point of view. And when he left there, they were laughing at him. That's this Apostle Paul. Do you guys feel like the Apostle Paul was anointed? Yes. Sure. I mean, he was anointed. You know, he had the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Why did they not get convicted? Why did you know they just laughed at him? Well, it was interesting because he went from there. You read that he went from there to Corinth. Now, listen to what he has to say. He said, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. Mm. He had recently been stoned. And that's why He came in fear and trembling. And listen to what He said. My message and my preaching were not with wise, pers persuasive words, 
but with demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. But why would he say that? Because he had just experienced in Athens being laughed at whenever he was trying to be eloquent with his speech. So he went to Corinth. He said, I learned my lesson. I'm not coming to you anymore with eloquent speech. I'm preaching Christ and Him crucified. And I'm going to come to you in the power of the Holy Spirit. So that your faith will rest in God and not the wisdom of man. Because he just saw the Greeks and how they focused all of their attention was on the wisdom of man. I've said this many times, but it's true. But the mentality of the Greeks was that God was like a big, huge human brain sitting around contemplating itself. You know, they were all caught up with human wisdom and, and intellect. That was their God. And Paul, if he'd have went there in the power of the Spirit and prayed for some sick people that had been healed and took it from a different approach, then it would have broke through some of that intellect and it would have got to the heart of the matter that, wait a second, this person was crippled and now they're walking around. We can't explain this with human intellect, so something yeah. must be going on. It would have shattered that, but Paul kept it on intellectual level with them, and he learned his lesson. That's why I appreciate, you know, like Reverend Anthony D. going out and, and bringing the power to the streets and not just words. Amen? I remember one time my friend Jeff Baldwin and I, we were out witnessing at Fort Worth, and there was a guy that was a Muslim, but he didn't speak any English. And so Jeff and I were kind of frustrated because we couldn't really share the gospel with him the way we wanted to. I mean, the guy didn't speak any English at all. So I think Jeff knew how to say Jesus in Arabic or something. I don't know. He was the man right there. So he just said Jesus in Arabic, and we prayed. And this guy was hit by the power. Oh, goes back. And me and Jeff figured, well, he won't forget that. <laughs> That's all that we could do. I had I, I mean, what are you going to say to somebody that doesn't know any English? <laughs> Jesus, touch him. <laughs> but you won't forget that because I bet you he hadn't got that from Muhammad. Uh, Amen. Oh, Amen. Thank you, Lord. That's cool. That's First Corinthians 2 7 says, No, we declared God's wisdom. Now, this is interesting. I want you to listen to this. We declared God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden. And that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now let me stop there for a minute. If the devil had known that by following through, stirring up the Pharisees, stirring up the, the Romans to crucify Christ, if, if Satan had known that it would be his ultimate defeat, for all of eternity. <laughs> he would not have done it. Amen? All right. okay. It's the ultimate shooting yourself in the foot moment when the devil did this. And think about it for a minute. You know, it's supposed to be where righteousness judges unrighteousness. Where light judges the darkness. Okay, It's like when you have a, an earthly judge, he's not a criminal. He doesn't have, you know, he's not coming from that. He's coming from somebody that's a law-abiding citizen passing judgments on a criminal. In this situation, Satan, because the cross was supposed to be for criminals, Satan, more than any being that has ever lived, deserved to be on the cross. Yet, he was trying to pass judgment and put Christ on the cross. 
So, I mean, the whole thing was so out of balance. But once this ultimate injustice was done, God flipped the whole thing around to where the Bible predicted, God predicted that the serpent would strike his heel but that Jesus would crush that serpent's head. Right. And so what happened was, when Satan tried to pass this judgment, it was an injustice on Christ. He died a criminal's death, even though he was the most righteous man that ever lived. Jesus went from that place, descended down into the underworld, and he freed those people that were in paradise. He took the keys from the devil, death on the grave. And whenever he came up, some of those people were raised from the dead and wandered in the streets. You guys read about that? Yeah. You imagine, you know, dead Uncle Charlie knocking on the door, been dead for a while, and all, all these people raising from the dead. Jesus takes them up out of paradise. He's got the keys of death, hell, and the grave, raises from the dead. And I imagine Satan's little celebration that he thought was going, it didn't even last three days because the devil ran into him in hell and said, what have I done? You know, he had a celebration for maybe like 24 hours thinking I killed him. See, the devil always does that. If the devil had known by continually attacking you that all it was doing was purifying and refining you and that ultimately you were going to be brought to a place to where you were going to destroy his kingdom, he would stop it. But the devil has this thing, the devil's kingdom has this thing where they always overplay their hand. And God lets them do it because they, they... they make fools of themselves in the end. They shoot themselves in the foot. They keep pushing somebody, pushing somebody, pushing somebody, and God sit back there going, they're about to come back and knock the fire out of him here in a little bit. Just let him keep doing it because they're learning. They're, they're getting purified through this trial. They're, they're becoming stronger. I'll let the devil do it. And then pretty soon, once they've learned and they've gone through it, then they rise up and they start whipping the devil's yeah. hands. Really yeah. Okay. <laughs> However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those that love Him. These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. So how is it revealed to you? By the Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And let me tell you something. God functions through childlike humility. He does not function through human intellect. The Bible actually says that knowledge will puff up. So I want you to please get this. Out of all the things I tell you tonight, I really want this one to sink in. Through childlike humility, there can be somebody that's a baby Christian, a little child in, in Christ, that by the power of the Holy Spirit living in them, can get a really deep, powerful revelation from the Holy Spirit. And then somebody that's been saved 30, 40, 50 years that it's on just an intellectual basis, cannot even begin to wrap their mind around what this little child understands very easily. That's true. That's true. That's why God gives grace to the humble, but He opposes the proud. Your intellectual mind will never really truly understand the things of God. Because God doesn't shoot it into your brain. It goes from the Spirit of God... And people use the word download now because of computers, but that's not a bad example because it goes from from the Spirit of God into your spirit. Amen. Not your soul, into your spirit. And then once it gets into your spirit, man, 
then you begin it begins to come forth from that into your intellect and you begin to understand it how by the holy spirit helping you it comes from your spirit to your intellect and then you can share it with other people but people think that by their much learning their phd through their seminary degree that they're going to understand the deep things of God. They will never understand the deep things of God that way. They might understand um, theology. They might understand um, the setting, the cultural setting around certain books of the Bible and understand when it was written, why, and how, and all these type of things. But that's not the deep things of God. A non-Christian can understand that. The deep things of God are revelation. And it can only come by the Holy Spirit. Even when somebody's preaching Revelation, the only reason people can understand it is if the Holy Spirit helps them understand it. Yeah. And same thing with your when you're witnessing. The only way that somebody's really going to understand who Christ is and why they need Him is the Holy Spirit helping them to understand that. Otherwise, it just seems foolish. They think it sounds so stupid that God would become a man. That doesn't even make sense. It sounds so stupid to me. Why would he die on a cross if he was a good man? If, if, for me, what does that mean? And they can't even understand. But the Holy Spirit begins to move upon them. And pretty soon it just dawns on them. It just clicks. The Holy Spirit helps them understand, wait a second. God so loved the world that He gave His Son so that I don't have to be condemned. The Holy Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. The Holy Spirit being God, He searches the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? You know, if you're sitting there to yourself thinking about things and pondering things, the person next to you doesn't know what you're thinking about. But your own spirit knows what you're thinking about. You understand that the Holy Spirit living in you, He knows the deep things of God right now and that at any time He can reveal things to you. It's always available because He's in you. Reinhard Bonnke said something I really loved. He said that, you know, this is, this is true. When somebody gets baptized in the Holy Spirit, there'll be a gift of the Spirit begin to operation. Uh, maybe they, they have the gift of giving a message in tongues, interpreting prophecy or whatever. But he said, just remember though, that the Holy Spirit lives in you. And that if there's ever a gift that's needed for that moment, that it should be available to function through. And that's the truth. And because of the Holy Spirit in us, the Bible says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So who is it that's in you? The Spirit of God. And that's why people don't need to be afraid about you know, what's going on in the last days and great deception because the Holy Spirit is there to keep you. Right. Your you know, fear of the devil is not going to keep you from the devil or from deception. It's going to be your faith in God to keep Amen. you. Will keep you. That's true. What we have received is not the spirit of the world. Amen. But the spirit who is from God. So that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit. 
Now here's here's the point right here. Explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. That's why whenever you get around people that are prophetic in nature and they're getting deep revelation, that's why a lot of people don't understand it, even in the body of Christ. Because they're speaking spiritual realities with spiritual words. They're, 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 they're releasing revelation. You know what the sad thing is? Most of the body of Christ probably doesn't really understand how to understand revelation, how to get revelation. And when, when revelation is released to them, they actually resist it. Maybe because they're afraid of it or because they just don't understand it, but they resist it. But when God's releasing revelation, we need to understand it, not resist it. The person without the Holy Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. And cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Holy Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. Well, let me back up. So, be careful if God gives you deep revelation. Be careful who you share it with. Because not everybody is going to appreciate your revelation. Right? True. You may be just so excited. I mean, you just got a revelation from God and you just, you're just beside yourself. You just can't stand it. You want to tell everybody? You want to blog it? You want to Facebook it? You want to know? And you're just so excited. And then whenever all of a sudden you put it out there and you start getting all this extremely hateful responses back, and you're like, why doesn't people understand? Why doesn't people appreciate my revelation? Come on. But doesn't Jesus teach us to not cast your pearls before swine? Yes. Yes. Why did He say? Because swine don't appreciate the pearls. <laughs> and they realize that they can't eat the pearls and that's all they care about. So they'll crush them under their feet and then attack you. And that's a perfect description of what people do. You'll go out there and release your little pearl of revelation, which is really from heaven and powerful. And they just trample it under their foot, totally disrespected. No respect whatsoever. And then they attack you. So be wise with those that you share your revelation. Remember Joseph. That's the ultimate example. The ultimate no-no. God had shown him a deep revelation of future things to come. How many knows you don't tell your brothers? Anybody that has at least one brother knows you don't tell them later in life you're going to bow down to me. <laughs> and then he tells his own father that but Joseph was probably I mean I'm sorry Jacob was probably more patient about it but he's probably at the same time thinking son you've got an ego problem we need to lay this on the altar I'm going to go build an altar we're going to go pray okay but Joseph really was seeing the future and it, and it came to pass exactly as he saw it but you can share, not only can you share revelation with people you should share, but you can also share it prematurely. Yeah. Now, Joseph, after all of that happened, and Joseph's brothers were there, he was in Egypt, and he revealed himself to them, and he said, you know, when I was, you know, 14, 15 years old, whatever, among you, I actually saw this vision of this happening, and, and so this is just a fulfillment of God's plan. If he shared it then, they would have wept, 
and been totally open to the revelation. But he shared it way prematurely. <laughs> and it cost him. Another interesting point here is the person with the Holy Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? Let me explain that. Somebody that has gotten to the place in their spiritual walk where they really can get revelation and God can speak to them very clearly, they're going to be able to make judgments about a lot, a lot of things because it's going to be righteous judgment. And they're not subject to other people's unrighteous criticism of them because they actually can hear from God for themselves. Somebody else is like, you're just a devil and you're da, 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 just run them down and they're like, they go pray and they hear from the Lord that they're not. And they're not subject to that person's unrighteous right. judgment. Why? Because they can judge their own selves. Yeah. But we've got to mature into that place. The boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit, the anointing flows through boldness and faith. Let me tell you a story. It was an old preacher, and he was in a church like this. And there was a woman that he had never seen. She had slipped in the back door. She had a couple kids with her. And he was right in the middle of his sermon, just like I am tonight. And all of a sudden, he just stops. It's a true story. He stops, and he says, Ma'am, the Holy Spirit just told me that you've got your kids with you, and you're about to go, because of mental illness, you're about to go into an insane asylum, turn yourself in or whatever, go to it to die. You plan on dying there. And you're taking your kids with you to drop them at, I think, a relative's house or something. And he said, but the Holy Spirit says, if you'll come down here right now, He's going to heal you. And she tried to get up, but she was just shaking under the power of God, trembling as she was coming down the aisle. And right as she got about there, He said, now! She flew back, hit the ground. You know, she came up out of that completely healed in her sound mind. Amen. Listen, and she sat under His ministry for years after that. For years. That's moving with the Holy Spirit. But what is that? That's boldness and faith. Yeah. David knew to wait on the Holy Spirit, but he also knew when the Holy Spirit was moving, you better move. Yeah. And David knew that whenever the, the Lord had spoken to him, and David knew the whisper of the Lord. One of the things you're going to learn about the Lord Every once in a while, he might shout. Okay, I'm not saying he won't. But most of the time when God speaks to you, I've heard the Lord, I've heard a loud voice before. But most of the time when the Lord speaks to you, it's a whisper. Mm -hmm. Okay. And David knew the whisper of the Lord. And whenever he went to battle, you remember the story. The Lord told him, now listen, you wait over here by these trees. And whenever you hear the rustling in the mulberry trees above you, you're going to know that I've went in front of you. What was that rustling up there? That was the angels of the Lord going in front. And he said, when you hear the, the rustling in the mulberry trees and they go in front of you, then you go into battle. Do not go before that, David. Wait until you hear the rustling. It's kind of like when the angel came and stirred the waters. You can tell at some point in time that there's a stirring in the atmosphere. You can feel it. And you can feel the Holy Spirit beginning to move. 
And when he does, you have to move with him then. You don't wait until the stirring stops and they go, whoops, Holy Spirit, I'm sorry about that. Can you do that again? You don't do that. And you don't, and you don't jump out prematurely. You wait till the Holy Spirit's moving. But it takes faith. It takes stepping out in faith. And it takes boldness. The Holy Spirit, the anointing, is released through boldness. Faith and boldness. You're always going. Now, we all grow in faith, and we all the boldness seems to increase. But you're never going to be at a place where your ministry does not require some level of faith and boldness. Mm-hmm. No. So you might as well just get used to that. Because you're going to, oh, every time you pray for anybody, there's an element there of stepping out in faith. Amen. Yeah. Well, you're always going to have to deal with the faith and the boldness. And it comes from the Holy Spirit. How many knows it's a lot easier to have faith and boldness when you're filled with the Spirit? Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Some people have just an amazing level of faith. Smith Wigglesworth. <laughs> he said, if the Holy Spirit isn't moving, I will move the Holy Spirit. And he meant it, and he did. He would step out in faith and keep stepping out faith and keep stepping out faith until God showed up. That's just the way he was. But when you're full of the Spirit you can have that faith and boldness just arise and strengthen. There's a cooperating with the Holy Spirit. Alright, let me show you a couple things. Acts 4.23 on their release. Now, Peter and John had been beaten. Okay? They, were, they tried to intimidate them, tell them to quit speaking in Jesus' name. You would think the Pharisees, bless their heart, you would think that after Jesus was crucified... And now Peter and John had prayed for a crippled man. He was raised from the dead. You would think that maybe there would be some kind of realization this is bigger than we thought, you know. And obviously God is at work. I mean, everybody knows this guy was crippled from birth and now he's running around. Mm-hmm. Obviously something's going on, but they they snatched Peter and John, brought him in there, threatened him. So Peter and John went back to their own people and reported, reported all the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, They raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, You made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and their rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. It's hard for me to not stop for a moment and talk about Antichrist spirit right there. (laughs) They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they, had pl- after they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. I mean, like an earthquake here tonight. Yes. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. What? They were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. Yeah. They were filled with the Spirit and they spoke the Word boldly. As you read over this, you can't help but think about the level of ground that the Antichrist spirit had. God's allowed it. It's end time prophecy. But to get to a place where Governor Perry 
bless, I bless Rick Perry. Thank God yes. we have a Christian yes. governor. Yes. Amen. Yes. And he's not ashamed of it. Amen. He's not a coward yes. about it. I thank God for that. And But the fact that he has to write a piece of legislation and sign it into law so that teachers and students or whatever cannot be sued for saying Merry Christmas... Um, things have gotten to a very low point because that's pretty stupid. That's embarrassingly stupid. This goes back. This nation was founded on Christian principles, and the fact that a governor would have to waste his time writing out legislation, signing into law, and you cannot sue a teacher for saying Merry Christmas to a student. Wow. But it shows you, listen, it shows you the level of ground that the Antichrist spirit has been able to take that that would have to be done. And it took a Christian to do it. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Bless you. Yes. Alright, the glory of the Holy Spirit. Listen, we've got to also create an atmosphere in our prayer life. I want you to understand this point. When you come through the blood, Jesus taught us, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father, we're God's children because of the blood. When you take time to get washed and covered in the blood of Jesus every day, it's important you do it every day. Apply the blood over your life every day. But when you come through the blood and then you enter into worship, hallowed be your name, and you worship the Lord, it begins to create an atmosphere. That's that's one of the that's probably the most important part of your prayer right there that you get covered in the blood and you begin to worship and get an atmosphere of heaven. Please don't skip that because if you if you just go through that as a dead ritual, you're going to miss. See, if you come in and you come through the blood and worship, and God's presence comes, His glory comes. Now, as you pray, you're going to be in the glory. Right. But if you bypass that and you just go in there and start talking to God about your needs, I'm not saying God won't do it because He said He'll answer prayer, but I'm just saying it's going to be a lot more dry than it has to be. And whenever I pray, I want to be in God's presence. Number one, it's a lot easier to pray when you're in His presence. How many have tried to pray when you're not in His presence? I mean, that's... Yeah, that can be a challenge. I mean, it's not that you can't do it, but... But anyway, you want to pray in the presence, number one. Number two, when you're in the presence of God, that begins to saturate you. And there's a fresh anointing and an infilling of the Spirit by being in His presence. And there's revelation in His presence. So as you as you come through the blood and you spend some time worshiping, the presence comes. The Holy Spirit's presence begins to saturate where you're at. And then you pray in that presence. And as you pray the Holy Spirit will begin to put things on your mind to pray about. And so it's not just a dead routine you do every day. I break out my sheet. Uh-oh. Got this one? Yeah. All right, let's go to the next one. Got that one? All right. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a sheet. I don't, want you, listen, I don't want you to take what I'm saying the wrong way. I'm just saying that even though you may have a plan of execution, that it needs to be in the presence of God and it needs to move with the Holy Spirit. Because you may dwell on something one day a lot more than the next. In other words, you may pray for Israel every day. We all need to. But one day you may a burden may drop on you and you pray for them 10-15 minutes hard. 
And the next day, you just, Lord bless Israel, keep them, you know, let your purposes be fulfilled. And that's all you pray. So I'm just saying that even though you may have your list and you may have a kind of a general idea of what you're going to do, it needs to be in the presence and it needs to move with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who also will put things on your heart at key moments. Remember me reading you that story about Kenneth Hagin awaking in the middle of the night, having no idea. He had an intense, incredible burden to pray. There's a lot of people out there that would just go back to sleep. But he got up and he prayed in tongues for an hour. I mean a burden. And he travailed. And, and as he was travailing and interceding for an hour, he had a vi- no way he didn't have a vision. He just prayed for an hour. But he felt the burden lift. And he knew after an hour, whatever he was praying for was done. He goes back to sleep. He has a dream that his brother and had a wreck, was in an ambulance, taken to the hospital, almost died. The doctor said he was dead in the dream. Kenneth Hagin told the doctor he's not dead. And he went, and the doctor was showing him he is dead, pulled the sheet back, and his brother said, hello. You know. <laughs> and Kenneth knew that he had prayed for his brother and prevented his death. And next time, this was back a long time ago, before there were cell phones, it wasn't like Kenneth was texting, okay? So the next time Kenneth saw his brother, his brother said, you know what, while you were gone, I almost died. What well, Kenneth say? I know. God showed me in a, in a dream, and I prayed for you. You see, what would have happened if Kenneth didn't pray for him? He might could have died. Reinhard Bonnke said that there was a time when he was young and he was in Africa, and he had drank some water from the wrong well. And he was, he felt like he was on his deathbed, okay? There was some woman somewhere in America that had a great burden for Reinhardt, somebody, I don't remember if she knew who he was or not, but she prayed and she travailed and she cried out to God. You know, God totally healed him and raised him up, but Reinhardt said, I could have died. This woman prayed for me and travailed for me. God woke her up in the middle of the night. She prayed for me and I survived. Reinhardt said he could have died. Now, what if the woman hadn't prayed? Reinhardt died. I'm not saying God couldn't raise up other people, but who's to say that all these millions of people would have been saved? So I'm just saying, when when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, He's looking for people that He can come upon and give you a burden, and you not roll back over and go to sleep on them. He's looking for somebody that's actually going to get up, you know, and say, all right, Lord, let's do this and pray and intercede until it's done. Now, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, let me tell you how this happens. You're going to feel a burden if you'll begin to intercede, probably in tongues, because you're not going to know what's going on. So you're praying in the Spirit, you're interceding until you feel that burden lift. And sometimes when you feel the burden lift, it will turn to joy. When you when you laugh, at the end of it, when you laugh and you're in joy, you know it's done. You know that you prayed it through, and now the Holy Spirit is bearing witness in you that it's done just rejoice about it, okay? That's how you know. There's also, though, a counterfeit from the devil that tries to put some kind of a burden on people, and it's not from the Holy Ghost. It's just a depressing thing, okay? So don't let the devil put that on you where it's just depression and it's heavy and you feel like this spirit of heaviness. The enemy tries to counterfeit that. Don't let that come on you. But when it's the Holy Ghost, it's not oppressive. 
It's just a burden. There's a difference. So the glory of the Holy Spirit. What is the glory? I'm not talking about glorifying. I'm talking about glory being God's manifest presence. See, when the Holy Spirit is here at work, He is at work to get people's attention and focus on Jesus. And then Jesus' job is He tries to get people's attention and focus once they get it on Him and they understand Him. He tries to get their attention and focus on the Father. You see how it's working? So the Holy Spirit doesn't come to glorify Himself. He comes to glorify Jesus. But when I'm talking about the glory of the Holy Spirit, I'm talking about His manifest presence. This is different than the anointing. I preached on the anointing last week, so you guys got that. I'm talking about now the glory. Look at Isaiah 60, verse 1 in the Amplified Bible. It reads like this, Arise from the depression and prostration in which circumstances have kept you. Rise to a new life. And shine. Arise and shine. Be radiant with the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord can shine upon you. You guys remember Moses? The glory of God was seen upon him. Now, I'm sure the children of Israel freaked out because the guy was glowing. <laughs> David Hogan's so funny. David Hogan's one of my spiritual heroes. I'm sure he is a lot of people. But he's so funny because he said, everything that's in the Bible belongs to me just like it belongs to you. But he said, I'm believing for everything in the Bible. And that means that if Moses' face would shine, mine's supposed to shine. And he said, I don't just mean for a little while. He said, this light bulb's staying on, buddy. He was serious. So next time you see yeah. David, he might be shining. <laughs> Actually, there was a picture of Bobby Connors had that. Did you see it? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, he was preaching. And it was a cool picture. He had it at the conference, didn't he? Yep. And he was preaching, all eloquent. And somebody took a picture of him, and he pure white. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. He was arising and shining. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the glory of the Lord. It says, Arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and dense darkness all the peoples. I mean, those who are living in this day, okay? Mm-hmm. But the Lord shall arise upon you, and His glory shall be seen on you. Mm-hmm. And what? The nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes round about you and see... They all gather themselves together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. Your daughters shall be carried in nursing arms. Then you shall see and be radiant, and your heart will be thrilled and tremble with joy at the glorious deliverance and be enlarged because the abundant wealth of the Dead Sea shall be turned to you. And to you shall the nations come with their treasures. So the glory will arise and shine. While darkness is increasing on the earth, the people of God, there's going to be more and more of a shining. I've given the example a lot of times that the stars are always in the sky. It's not like they're turned off, okay? It's not like God's up there and has a light switch. Oh, it's nighttime now. Let's just flip the... The stars are always there, okay? So the darker it gets in the sky, the more you see the stars. The darker it gets in the world, the more you, the God's people are going to be shining. Before Christ's coming, I believe that scriptures like this one are going to be understood more clearly. Everything will be fulfilled. And people are really, there's going to be a spiritual shining about the people of God that's going to be attractive and people are going to be drawn to it. The glory of the Lord. I've heard of meetings, true story, where they'd be having Holy Spirit revival. How many love Holy Spirit revival? I do. Holy Spirit revival. 
fireman comes in the back door, this has happened. It says, where's the fire? We, said, we had a call. We had a call. It was dispatched. We were driving down the road. We saw fire. We saw smoke. And we got here and there's no fire. Where's the fire? It's the court of the Lord. Wouldn't that be something? Just sharing these things to give. This is true stories that have happened. Just sharing these things to increase your faith. You know, Mariah Woodworth Edder, it's not like she was a big woman, and she would just stand there with her hand up. But you know, there were people that would be a mile or two away that had an encounter with God. She'd come into town with her little tent. You know, she was preaching. There'd be somebody two miles away that'd sit there plowing their field and would go into a trance. <laughs> I mean, they'd be there for a while and they'd come out of their trance at some major encounter with God. Who's to say that when the Holy Spirit falls, He can't shake a whole city? Have you guys even heard about in Pensacola about what happened in the high schools? I mean, whole high schools were being shaken by the power of God. Kids were all down the hallways shaking and falling on the ground. Yeah. Teachers were freaked out. <laughs> There's some kind of an epileptic thing and it's contagious because it's going everywhere. You know, because their students were falling on the ground shaking and laughing about it and they're thinking all this craziness is going on. So pretty soon the principal is having to communicate with Brownsville, with Richard Crisco going, okay, what's going on? Because all these kids, I mean all over the school are on the ground shaking and laughing and something weird's going on and Richard's like, it's just the Holy Spirit. They had to actually accommodate, the schools had to accommodate the move of God. Amen. <laughs> thank God for one of these principles. Uh, I can't remember his name now. Do you remember it? White, White Anyway, one of these principals who wasn't afraid of people, and he would just tell the kids, um, hey, look, I'll take you to the revival if you want to go. And he would just take all of them to the revival. That's awesome. All of them were getting saved. But see, when God comes down, it's not just going to be, it shouldn't just be in this little vicinity here. Because when he comes down, it can affect the neighborhoods around. It can affect yes. the city. Amen. People driving by have to pull over because they're shaking in their car, crying, and they don't know why. The power of God. But God is taking his bride to a place. The Holy Spirit is taking the bride of Christ to a place like Ruth at the feet of Jesus, having the mantle of God's glory. Remember, Ruth was at Boaz's feet and said, you know, place your garment over me. Stretch the corner of your garment over me. People are finding a place in Christ, hidden in Christ, where the glory is resting on them. And they're soaking in God's presence. And what's happening is that that mantle of God's glory that's coming on them, that anointing that's that's being poured into them is preparing them for Christ's coming. They're being prepared. But this is one of my favorite scriptures. It says, Isaiah 52, 1, Awake, awake, Zion, clothe yourself with strength. Anytime you read in the Bible, awake, it's speaking about prayer. Symbolically, sleeping has to do with not praying. And so when you read in the Bible, it talks about that, you know, sleeping and slumber. It's always symbolically speaking of people that are prayerless. But when it's talking about awake, it's saying pray. So in other words, what they're saying here, pray, pray, Zion. Stretch the corner of your garment over me. People are finding a place in Christ, hidden in Christ, where the glory is resting on them. And they're soaking in God's presence. And what's happening is that that mantle of God's glory that's coming on them, 
that anointing that's that's being poured into them is preparing them for Christ's coming. Amen. They're being prepared. But this is one of my favorite scriptures. It says, Isaiah 52, 1, Awake, awake, Zion, clothe yourself with strength. Anytime you read in the Bible, awake, it's speaking about prayer. Mm-hmm. Symbolically, sleeping has to do with not praying. And so when you read in the Bible, it talks about that, you know, sleeping and slumber. It's always symbolically speaking of people that are prayerless. Mm-hmm. But when it's talking about awake, it's saying pray. So in other words, what they're saying here, pray, pray, Zion, clothe yourself with strength. You know how you get clothed with strength? You have a prayer life. When you have a prayer life, God, clothe, you're clothing yourself because of your prayer life. You're being clothed with strength to overcome. That's why I recommend to people, if you can, get up in the morning and start your day with prayer. Some people cannot do that. Let me tell you, God is not religious. If you pray at the end of the day, that's great too. But just make sure you have a prayer life. Because when you pray, you're clothing yourself with strength. And don't let your prayer life become too rigid. I already mentioned this, but let there be a flow of the Holy Spirit and learn to be led by the Spirit in your prayer life and also walk with God throughout your day. That's the important thing about your prayer life. Sometimes I've had people ask me over the years, how have you learned to, to move with the Holy Spirit, like in church? Well, I would say mainly from my prayer life and not so much from church services, but from prayer life. Because in prayer... The Holy Spirit would speak to me to pray about this or to do this. And as I moved with Him, when you move with the Holy Spirit, what happens is this. You're you're praying, and the Holy Spirit moves on you to start doing something like praying for this. When you start doing that, you'll feel the anointing increase. And then the Holy Spirit then, as you've done that, He'll tell you maybe to do this over here. And as you do it, the anointing will increase even more. And it's the same thing in church because you learn that in your prayer life. And then in church when the Holy Spirit's telling you to do certain things and you move with Him, the anointing increases. That's why whenever, many times when, when preachers feel led to do something like pray for a certain person or do a certain thing, the anointing starts increasing and increasing and increasing throughout the service. But how many knows we can walk with God throughout our day? The Bible says pray without ceasing. That can only be accomplished by the Holy Spirit. But let me explain that because as I've said before, I've joked around about this, you can't be Mr. Monk that goes around with your you know, your hood on and you're just walking around praying all day because as you're in the workplace, they'll fire you. So you can't do that. So what does it mean that you pray without ceasing? Because the Bible says to do it. If it says to do it, then we need to do it. What it means is this, is when you when you spend time with the Lord in the morning, the Holy Spirit ignites your spirit with a fresh anointing, a fresh fire. And as you go throughout your day, it's kind of like this. In the morning, you get your spiritual engine cranked, so to speak. And throughout the day, it's just running. In the, in the morning, as you pray, it's like tuning in a radio station. You're getting tuned into the Holy Spirit. And then throughout your day, you just walk with Him. So you're walking through your day, and the Holy Spirit says, you know, go over here and witness this person. You're going throughout your day and, and you're just talking to Him in your mind. And so if you're just talking to the Holy Spirit, maybe you're driving down the road and you're just talking to Him and He puts something on your heart you pray about that. Then you get out and you've got to do something else and the Holy Spirit says you need to pray for this person. There's a friend of mine, um, 
Chacho down there in Mexico. Hopefully you guys will meet him one day. He's a wonderful guy. And um, he was telling me he was driving, he was in Mexico, and he was at the stoplight, and the Lord told him to witness and pray for this guy. And so he calls the guy over. That was one of those guys, I think, that clean your windshield. Even when you don't want him to. <laughs> don't even get on that. He calls him over and he's talking to him. And Chancho's at a red light, right? And he's I think he shared Christ just real fast. Light turns green. Chancho's like, Lord, touch him. Has to drive off. The guy's like, <laughs> that's just walking with the Holy Spirit because you never know what's going to happen one of the funniest stories like that I've ever heard though was Steve Hill he said he was in Walmart or something and he's walking and some lady comes up to him and says you're Steve Hill goes, Yeah. she said well can you pray for me I, said, yeah, I guess so you know, said, Jesus touch her he said man that woman he said he couldn't believe it she flew in the air and he said they had set up some you know how they do I don't remember what it, if it was cans or it was something more destructive than paper towels but they had created you know it was some poor soul that night was probably sitting there all night long creating this big giant pyramid whatever it was she landed in the middle of it he said she went in the air and hit that thing and it went everywhere and he looked at his wife and said let's get out of here it took off left the woman there to explain this so if you ever see Steve Hill in Walmart you might want to say but Steve pray for me but you might want to look around behind me and be honest make sure nothing's behind me but walking with the spirit because you never know when an opportunity is going to come up I've shared the story many many times about the guy Vern that came to fix my AC back years years ago I tried to witness to him and he said he didn't want to hear it. And um, I said, well, why not? He said, well, I work with a preacher, and he's always preaching at me, and I don't want to hear it. Not interested. I said, all right, well. But after that, I started to back off, and I thought, obviously, I didn't accomplish my goal here, so I'm going to go do whatever. And the Holy Spirit just fell, I mean, out of nowhere. And he's just kind of shaking like this. His face turned red. He started crying. He was like, what's going on, man? And I was like, well, Vern. And he really was like this. He's like, what's going on? And I said, Vern, the Holy Spirit's touching you. Jesus is trying to save you, man. You know? He's trying. And, and, and Vern said, Vern said, what must I do to be saved? Yeah. And I said, well, all right, I'll pray with you. So he got saved. But see, you never know when these things are going to come up because I didn't do a good job of witnessing to him, obviously. He didn't like what I had to say. But the Holy Spirit touched him. That's right. And then he wanted to be saved. That's what I'm trying to show you tonight. The Holy Spirit, you've got to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Dr. Cho and his church. Dr. Cho is a funny man. Did you know in his church? And this, this is a in South Korea. This is a praying church. They pray mountain. They have hundreds of thousands of people praying and fasting all the time. Okay, so consequently, there's a lot of people getting saved. Big church, a lot of people come. Holy Spirit moves. But you know, on his platform, he has a chair. That's the Holy Spirit's chair. I love it. And it's funny because sometimes they have special speakers come in from another country and they'll go sit in the Holy Spirit's chair. And you'll have to kindly tell him. I'm sure it's really funny because everybody knows. You know? oh, Dr. Cho has to tell him, sir, can you please relocate? And this is the Holy Spirit's chair. 
And the reason why Dr. Cheryl on the platform, because all the preachers sit up there, different people, the reason why they have a chair for the Holy Spirit is because he's taught the, the people the Holy Spirit is a person. No, yeah. He's welcome in our church services. Yeah. We're going to give him a chair on the platform, and he's going to come and do what he wants to do. And it's just an illustration. That's cool. But Dr. Cho wrote a book, if you want to read a good book, about the Holy Spirit called The Holy Spirit by Senior Partner. Because his goal is that the Holy Spirit is the senior partner in their ministry together, meaning that he makes all the decisions. So Dr. Cho says, my job is to ask the senior partner, what do I do today, sir? What do I speak about next time I preach? But the Holy Spirit will give you discernment, too. Because in his church, there was a woman that was prophesying, and there was a long line of people. But he felt very uneasy. It was a check in his spirit. And um, instead of just calling her down, he went home and prayed to his senior partner, the Holy Spirit. I kind of feel funny about this lady, but tell me, what is the deal? And the Holy Spirit said, she is not of me. It is a familiar spirit. So Dr. Cho comes back and tells the lady. Because she went, the reason why he felt funny about it is because it seemed to be negative and didn't seem like the fruit of the Spirit was there. So Dr. Cho went to her and said, the Holy Spirit told me that it's not him and stop prophesying. Of course, hmm. instead of saying, okay, well, pray for me about this. Instead of being like that, she got mad and left. Um, anyway, the Holy Spirit will give you discernment. You'll know. How many have been around something and you just felt... The hair just kind of, you know, and you knew something's not right. Yep. Or how many have also been where you walked in and there was God's presence? You're like, well, yep. I remember back at the Brownsville Revival, they would always have this, they had this bookstore and they'd always replay the services. And man, if you went in that bookstore and they were replaying the services, I mean, it was like, you just walk in, it's just like, you just got hit by this glory. You just kind of just looked around. I mean, it was there. And, but there's also been places like how many goes like some place like Hot Topic. You ever seen that? Like, you walk down the mall, not even paying attention. You just kind of like, what is that? You know, you're just standing right by Hot Topic. He's like, oh, I'll just. All right, let me close with this: the power of having eyes to see and ears that hear. Now, listen. This is this. Even though I'm finishing with this, is probably the most important thing I'm sharing tonight. Not everybody has eyes that can see and ears that can hear. Why is it that Jesus always said, let those that have eyes see and those that have ears hear? They weren't all blind and deaf. <laughs> so he wasn't speaking a bunch of people that's got their little cane, you know, and they're all there. <laughs> no, they could see physically and hear physically, but he was saying to those that can spiritually see and hear. Because he knew that not all of them could. See, what really marked the Pharisees more than anything else, they, they were very, obviously they were prideful, they were very religious, on and on we could go. But what marked them the most was that they could not see that Jesus was the Messiah. Right. And they could not hear His teaching for what it really was. They did not have eyes to see and ears to hear. And Paul, being a Pharisee, among all those Pharisees, a Pharisee above many of those Pharisees, whenever God touched him, what happened? The man went blind. You know why? Because God was trying to show Paul, Paul, you've been spiritually blind all along. 
Now, if you'll humble yourself and go let Ananias pray for you, those scales will fall off your eyes. But we've got to have eyes to see and ears to hear. And this is what I want to close with about the Holy Spirit. When, when you move with the Holy Spirit, there's power available. I, I think I've covered all that pretty well, even in previous sermons. But Mark 8, 18, Jesus asked a question, Do you have eyes but fail to see? Do you have ears but fail to hear? See, Moses sensed within himself that he was a deliverer. Your, your calling is, you know, from birth, really. Your calling, your destiny is within you. And Moses felt it. But he killed the Egyptian by his own hand and acted presumptuously and prematurely. See, Moses knew deep down within him, whether he understood it or not, but he knew within him that he was called to deliver Israel. And he saw a Hebrew being abused. He went over there, got mad. He killed the Egyptian. What was he doing? He, he was really acting out his destiny, but he was doing it prematurely. If he had only had eyes to see and ears to hear, it moved with God about God's timing. See, very few people really live within God's perfect will. So I Romans 12, 2, that you have the renewed mind what to, to know the good, the pleasing, and perfect will. Most people live in the good. Some live in the pleasing. Very few live in the perfect will of God. Let me say that again. Most live in the good. Some live in the pleasing. Very few live in the perfect will of God. Because to live in the perfect will of God, you have to have eyes to see and ears to hear. It has to come through revelation. Right. And it's really something that you've got to develop with God. Because you can't depend on other people to keep getting your revelation for you, even though God will use people in your life, but you can't depend on it. Somebody that's going to be in the perfect will of God has got to learn how to hear from God for themselves. Because if you've heard it for yourself, there's nobody that can take it from you. People, a lot of people don't even recognize or know if they're in the will of God about where they live geographically. Did you know that? There's a lot of people never even really pray or hear from God at all about where they live. They just randomly end up somewhere. They're in the good will of God. Maybe possibly by the grace of God they're in the pleasing will, but they're certainly not in the perfect will. Or where they go to church. Many do not have the humility and the wisdom to learn in a season of learning. But they want to jump out prematurely and do what they feel they're called to do. See, King David, I'm sure he was anointed by Samuel. And then he thought to himself, well, the man of God told me I'm king of Israel. So, you know, it's probably pretty close to time. And he goes out and, and he kills his Goliath. And he's probably thinking the throne... It's just right around the corner. King Saul will probably know that it's time to step down. I'll just keep playing my harp and uh, it'll all be okay. And you know what? It ended up taking many years, possibly 16 years. The Apostle Paul, after God had visited him, Jesus appeared to him, knocked him off his donkey. We know the story. He went off into Arabia for a long time before he started his ministry. Many years. Abraham, you're called to be the father of many nations. 25 years later, you'll have a baby. 
So I'm just saying, just because God speaks to you doesn't mean that it's... See, well, here's, here's what a lot of people don't understand. Did you know, and I'm, I say this with a lot of humility, did you know there's, there's you take a thousand people called to ministry, there might be a hundred of them that have any type of depth to their ministry whatsoever. That's the truth. Why? Because most of them, they felt some kind of call, they go to Bible school and intellectually learn things about the Bible, then they just go get a job. And that's the extent of it. You've got a few of them out there that heard from God and they went to spend time in His presence with Him. And to really get something from the Lord. Those that have... See, the humility and the wisdom that in this season of their life that's supposed to be a season of learning, to quit trying to be a season of doing. And to be in a season of learning and growing and getting what God has yeah. for you. Right. Not saying I've done a lot of things right, but that I feel like that's one because years ago, whenever God would put me in a season where not a lot was going on in the ministry, I would just seek Him in prayer. Yeah. And He would speak to me. And a lot of stuff I teach to you, I learned in those seasons. Right. And a lot of the anointing of things that have come in my life came in those seasons. There were times of seeking the Lord in those seasons that God was, there were times that God did not, there wasn't anything spectacular, okay, but there were times that God really showed up. But see, you've got, you've got to have those seasons where you say, the Lord has, doesn't have me real busy right now in the ministry, so I must be supposed to be seeking Him. And get alone with Him and learn. Yeah. One preacher told me that, you know, he would prophesy, and it was really powerful, and he told me, yeah, he said, it came out of a time in my life I felt the Holy Spirit drawing me and I went into a season of prayer and fasting and spent time with God. And when I came out of it, this was just in my life. Now, how many people can say things like that? I went and spent time with the Lord. I went and, and learned from Him and grew spiritually. That's where there's depth and revelation. That cannot be learned in Bible school. You, listen, I'm not against Bible school. I went to Bible school and I did learn a lot. Of you cannot learn to move with the Holy Spirit in Bible school. It can't be really taught. It's something that you just got to learn with the Lord. Somebody can talk about it. You can glean from that. But I'm saying to really, really get it, you have to spend time with Him. You have to learn His leading. You learn the leading of the Lord because you go to step out to do something and you feel the anointing draw back. And then you go, oops, you pull back. And then the next time you go to move with the Lord, you feel it, and you go this way with Him, and you feel the anointing increase. And then you go, oh. And over time, you start learning that voice, that leading, that nudging. One preacher said that he was driving by, and the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, witness to those two guys. He said he just thought it was him. And he went into the store and bought something. And he heard sirens. True story. He heard sirens. And as he went back out, those two guys were on scaffolding. And it had collapsed under them. And they died. And the opportunity was gone then. And he said this. He said, I determined within myself that I was going to learn the voice of God so clearly that I would never have that happen again. And you know, later on in life, you know what people said about him? That he was one of the most accurate prophets they'd ever known. 
If he said something, you better write it down. <laughs> Why? Because he determined within himself, I'm going to seek the Lord in the secret place until I know his voice so clear, I'll never miss him again. It's not something that can be taught. It's something you've got to find with the Lord yourself. But discerning the times and seasons of the Lord, what season are you in individually? What season is the church in? What season is your nation in? What season are we in in the end times? We are definitely in the last days where you can look at the fig tree. Israel's the fig tree. You look at the fig tree and you see that Israel could very well see the Psalm 83 war before too long. Their borders expand. Who knows? They might become the Mideast superpower. Then, Gog and Magog war after that. Which that will probably set stage for the peace treaty with the Antichrist and the tribulation. We're not that far from that stuff. Amen. It probably will be in your lifetime. And you can see all around us end time prophecies, people falling away from the faith. I could go on and on, but I mean all of it's there. So we need to know what season. We're in the last days. We kind of got that. But what season is our nation in? Because the prophets have said it would begin in Pensacola, move 50 miles west. It is right now in Mobile. And then it would, what, remember? Shoot up the east coast coast and come across the southwest and up to the Pacific Northwest and all of America be ablaze. So we know that's the prophecies and many have seen America ablaze in the fires of revival. But what season is the nation in? It's obviously in a season where God's allowing, allowing it to be humbled and desperate for revival. Yeah. Right before revival really right. breaks out. And what season is your church in? What season are you in? So just I don't want an answer. I just want you to think about it. What spiritual season are you in in your life? So you need to know that. Many of you are in a season right now of really preparation. If you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you won't want out of that. You'll seize every minute to learn everything you can get and glean everything you can get because everything that you get out of the season of preparation will manifest when God starts using you down the road. But if you jump out of it, you'll get none of it. And and I don't want people to to say about me one day there was no depth. If If you'll understand the season you're in and get everything out of it you can, then there'll be depth. There's weight to it. You know why... It feels like when I talk about the Holy Spirit that there's a little bit of depth and you can feel it because God's had to put this in me too. You know what I'm saying? And some of you could get up and talk about things the Holy Spirit has taught you and when you talk about it, there's a depth to it. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit's put it in you. It's things you learn in the secret place. All right. And last thing is this, recognize those as God's puts in your, God has put in your life. God has put some people in your life. And if they're really from God, if they really are from God, they'll rub you the wrong way. <laughs> if they're just a yes person that always tells you what you want to hear, they're not from God. And they're probably, possibly, even somebody the devil's glad's in your life. But somebody that God's put in your life, especially somebody over you, they'll rub you the wrong way. Because they're not there to share in your pity party. <laughs> Whenever you're having a pity party, they're there to tell you, get out of that. Okay? Don't stay there. People have died there. Yeah. That's like quicksand. Okay? Don't stay there. And then you get mad at them. They don't understand me. 
they're just not going to help your problem. They're going to help you out of your problems. If they're really from God, then they're going to tell you things you don't want to hear. That's right. And they're going to try to help you along, but it's not going to be easy because they're sometimes they're going to grab you and pull you, and you're not going to want to go. Right. You're like, I'm tired. Right. How many knows in the military they're trying to train people, and somebody says, I'm tired. Does the sergeant, the platoon leader say, oh, I'm so sorry. Let's just all sit here with you because you're tired. No, they're going to say, get over it, man. Let's go. Why? Because they've got to learn to suck it up and to keep going even if you are tired. So people that God has really put in your life, and I think a lot of people in the body of Christ have gotten, have lost divine relationships because they didn't discern. They got offended with the person. They got mad at them, and they were really trying to help them and tell them the truth. And if they would have humbled themselves, they'd still be in their life. But they got mad, and they stormed out. This person's unloving, uncaring, doesn't understand me. I don't need this. Stormed out what? To go find somebody that's going to sit there and just pet them. It's okay. Just just stay just like you are. We all love you just like you are. And they'll stay spiritually exactly the way they are probably the rest of their lives. Whereas if they had stayed with the person God had put in their life, they would have gone from where they are to a whole other dimension spiritually. So discerning the people God's put in your life that will challenge you and at times correct you and rebuke you and you don't like it, you don't want to hear it, but if you'll stay with them long enough, you'll figure out that they really do love you and they're only being hard sometimes because they're trying to help you. But it takes a lot of humility, though, to be in that type of relationship with people. All right. How many want to know the Holy Spirit? That's the sermon tonight. To get to know the Holy Spirit. More. Yeah. <laughs> Always more. But we got room to pray for people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just a on the Yeah. There's not going to be any problem there. <laughs>